All right, open your Bibles to Romans chapter 6. This morning we're going to actually finish this chapter by looking at verses 19 through 23. As always, let me just back up a few verses, do a short review, and most importantly, uh, I want to bring our minds back into the context of this passage. Uh, Understand that it really does no good to exposit Scripture if we do not have an understanding of the immediate context. Now, in our last time here in chapter 6, I know it's been a few weeks, but in our last time here in chapter 6, we looked at verses 15 through 18, where I began by talking about the ugliness of sin. After reading from chapter 8, verses 19 through 22 here in Romans, I mentioned how due to sin, even nature, even nature, folks, is a slave to decay and death. Due to the effects of sin, creation itself longs to be liberated. That's how bad sin is. I then went back to one of the most, what do you want to call it? Talks a lot about sin as far as this goes. That's chapter one here in Romans, um, where Paul is very candid about sin and depravity of mankind as a whole. Talks a lot, a lot in Romans chapter one. If you go back and read that, there's there's, there's not a whole lot that he doesn't say about the wickedness of mankind. And then addressing these verses in verses 15 through 18, to make this clear to his readers, Paul began uh, by using a very specific word so that everyone, all his readers, would understand. And that was the word slave. He used the word slave. With so many slaves in the Roman Empire at that time, Paul knew the benefit of actually using this word because it it would be hard to believe that someone would not understand this because it was so prevalent there in their society. Now, as far as an extremely simple definition of the word slave, at least from the point of view of what Paul is looking at, okay, Um, A slave is someone uh, who was in complete submission to his master, okay? Someone uh, where there was total allegiance, okay? Now, obviously, you can go on for a long time and talk about what slavery is. Slavery is different uh, in different generations, different times, so it's not all, don't, you know, broad brush at all. But ultimately, he's saying here uh, uh, that slavery is a submission to Uh, one's master. And with that understanding, Paul then took that word to the church in Rome, and and really for us as well, Um, and he says it's it's dealt with in one of two ways, this word slave. Look at verse 16, back up to verse 16. He says, don't you know that when you offer yourselves to, to someone to obey him as slaves, you are slaves to the one whom you obey? whether you are a slave to sin, which leads to death, or to obedience, meaning obedience to God, by the way, which leads to righteousness. So as you can see just from reading there, um, there's only two choices, right? You have two choices, and out of those, you are going to be a slave to one or the other. There's no one who is not 
a slave. You're either a slave to sin or you're a slave to God or to Christ. There is no in-between, right? There's no such thing. It's like being kind of pregnant. There is no in-between in this situation. Matthew chapter 6, verse 24, you cannot serve two masters, right? Luke eleven twenty three. 23, Jesus says, whoever is not with me is what? Against me. See, that kind of settles it all there. You have two choices. It's impossible to have Jesus Christ as Lord and then you get somehow live your life that reflects a love for the world. You can't have both of those two. Those two things are oxymorons. And so what this does to the church in Rome is really no different than what it does for you and me today, and that is it forces us it forces us to really do a little self-examination. Because I think sometimes we, even though we know it theologically, we, we sometimes feel that we can be on both sides. But no, you can't. You can't. Now, here in our text this morning, it sounds like there's some good news going on. It sounds like somebody made the right decision. Look what Paul says in verse 17. He says, But thanks be to God that though you used to be slaves to sin, you wholeheartedly obeyed the form of teaching to which you were entrusted. So as we can see here, there was a transformation that took place in their lives. Prior to that, you'll notice it says in their past, they completely submitted themselves to sin. Okay? They thought about it, they focused on it, they enjoyed it, right? They stayed with it. Sin was their master. But here's the key, though, to this transformation. He says they obeyed the teaching that Paul had given to them. Folks, listen, it is so important, especially in our world today, it is so important that we understand those words had to include the gospel. Okay? Now, certainly it could include much more than that, but at a very minimum, Paul had to share the gospel with them. He didn't just say, Jesus, love you. He didn't talk about Jesus coming into your heart. He shared the gospel in 1 Corinthians 15, verses 1 through 5, Paul spoke of the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And he said, by this gospel, meaning this good news, right? That's the good news. The death, the burial, and the resurrection, that's the good news. By this gospel, you are saved. Not by anything else. By that gospel, he says, you are saved. Right here in Romans chapter 1, verse 16, the gospel is the power of God unto salvation for those who believe. Did you catch that? The gospel is the power of God unto salvation for those who believe. Salvation comes no other way. Salvation comes through no other message. They must know, and this is important, folks, people must know they're sinners. That's where it all begins, by the way. Okay? You don't need a savior if you don't think you have a problem. You need to know you're a sinner. You've got some big issues going on. I don't care how nice of a person you think you are. You are a rotten, filthy sinner. Everybody is. And therefore, guess what? 
You need to understand that Jesus came and he paid the price for your sin. He died on a cross for those sins. He was buried, which by the way, simply proves his death. He did die, but yet he rose victoriously from the grave. You place your faith in Christ and Christ alone for your salvation. That's the message that Paul shared to these people. And when this takes place, we can say what Paul said right here in verse 18. What did he say to the Romans? He says, you have been set free from sin and you have become slaves to righteousness. So it was faith in the gospel that freed them from sin and turned them into a slave, not of sin, of righteousness. Now that doesn't mean they were perfect people just like you and me here today. Okay? It doesn't mean they will never sin again. It means they've changed their allegiance. Okay? They now have a different master. They're still a slave. Don't get me wrong, right? I said that earlier. You're a slave no matter what. They simply have a different master. They are no longer in bondage, hence the word slavery. They're not in bondage to sin. They now have a desire to subject their lives to God. Now, it's important that we understand, folks, that transformation that took place that I just went through in those few verses there, we're talking about a positional transformation. Okay, It was their position in Christ. In other words, at that point, Paul was only speaking about their salvation experience. Okay? how they have changed teams, if you will. Okay? They left their life of sin and degradation and they turned to Christ and Christ offered them a new life, a new pursuit. Not sin, but righteousness. Okay? If you will, it's their salvation experience. So with that as the very basis of our context, uh, I want you to read with me verses 19 through 23 where Paul is going to continue with his use of this word slave, but he's now going to take it to the next level. It's not just about their position in Christ, right? But it's now about their practice. Do you see the difference there? It's the difference between justification and sanctification. Okay? Read with me verses 19 through 23. Paul says, I put this in human terms, meaning where he's talking about slavery. He says, I put this in human terms because you are weak in your natural selves, just as you used to offer the parts of your body in slavery to impurity and to ever-increasing wickedness. So now offer them in slavery to righteousness leading to holiness. When you were slaves to sin, you were free from the control of righteousness. What benefit did you reap at that time from the things that you're now ashamed of? Those things result in death. But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves to God, the benefit you reap leads to holiness and the result is eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. So drop back, if you will, to verse 19. 
Now, there are some commentators, maybe you have them in your study notes, I don't know, who believe that Paul here uh, is apologizing for using slavery as his analogy, okay? The very beginning there of verse 19, it's, Paul says, I put this in human terms because you're weak in your natural selves. Now, I, personally, I don't know about you. I don't see an apology there, okay? Paul is simply being himself, and he's basically saying, yeah, okay, I probably could have used a better analogy. This one isn't perfect, but he says here why. He says because what? They're weak. He says they're weak. Because of their uh, sp- or lack of spiritual perception, Paul thought slavery might be a better choice based on the experience of the Roman people. It's what's happening around them in Rome. Right? It's an everyday thing. That, that should click with them. It's like when you go to the Gospels and you see sometimes parables dealing with the agrarian culture. That's, that's normal for them. That's everyday life to them. And so that's how they would speak to them. And so if Paul is implying anything here, it's that slavery might not be the best parallel, but he used it so they could understand Because they were not necessarily spiritually mature, he had to communicate with them at their level. He had to speak with them just so they can understand. And it's the same thing. I talk to people about that when it comes to Bible translations today. Sure, there are more uh, or better Bible translations or some that are more literal and others and so forth. But you know what? People got to, you got to learn from where you're at. Wherever you're at spiritually, I don't care if it's a paraphrase. If that's where you're at, then learn from that. Okay, so here Paul sees where they're at and he says, that's, that's what works. Because I know you guys will understand the concept of slavery. Now, all that being said, the reason that slavery might not be the perfect illustration is that even though there is, of course, as you know, the principle of submission and allegiance to a master, right, which fits Paul's analogy perfectly, Um, God does not hold his children in slavery, right? God's not a slave master, which, of course, that's the implication of slavery. Now, sin does, Satan does, and they know that personally because they themselves were once bound before they came to faith in Christ, right? He told them that. You were slaves to sin. Matter of fact, he starts the second half of verse 19, saying this. What does he say there? He says, just as you used to offer the parts of your body in slavery to impurity and to ever-increasing wickedness. Do you see that? So he's keeping here with this principle of slavery, and Paul is saying, you know it really well because that's who you once were. This is the life that you lived. He said, quoting him, he said, you were slaves to impurity. You were a slave to ever-increasing wickedness. So really, folks, the main point that Paul is getting at is he's taking it back, if you will, to verses 16 and 17. 
I read it earlier, but it says, don't you know that when you offer yourselves to someone and obey him as slaves, what does he say? You are a slave to the one you obey. You are a slave. And then in verse 17, he says, you used to be slaves to sin. They understand slavery to that extent, and they understand what it means to be a slave to sin. So Paul here uses this word slavery because before Christ, hence the word, they were in bondage to sin. They were bound to sin. Folks, the unsaved person lives their life in one way. Okay? And that is according to their natural bent. Right? It's according to their unredeemed inclination. And being that outside of Jesus Christ, every single person is born with a sin nature and therefore has a predisposition to fulfill that sinful life, we can expect nothing different. You know, don't think, wow, what horrible, terrible people they once were. That's how everybody is before they come to faith in Christ. Everybody. You can't look at someone and, and expect them to live a certain life. When you, see, when you see an unbeliever, when you see them sin and maybe sometimes do evil or wicked things, that's, that's the reality. That's reality for everybody. They sin with impunity because they don't know Christ. That is their natural bent. That was my natural bent. Now, I was really good at it. As much as people like to dumb down the word sin today, and use words like mistakes. It doesn't change the nature of what it is. It doesn't change the nature of what sin is. And it flies in the face of a holy God. Sin is a very bad thing. As I mentioned in my introduction, I mentioned the ugliness of sin. Now here in verse 19, he says they were slaves to impurity and ever-increasing wickedness. That doesn't sound like a mistake. It sounds pretty rotten, doesn't it? The word impurity there is basically moral uncleanliness. Moral uncleanliness. Now, there are many things that I could list, but I'm not going to because I'm pretty sure you can figure out for yourself what moral uncleanliness is, okay? And if that doesn't say it all, he then adds to that Okay, not just wickedness, but ever-increasing wickedness. Okay? I think, I think most translations have the word lawlessness in your translations. Folks, lawlessness is sin. But more specifically, it's a direct violation of divinely established law. Okay, divinely established law. In other words, these aren't subjective laws that we ourselves create. We create a lot of those in our society. These are preordained by a holy God. That's lawlessness. Man is prone to what, what, I, you, what I call, what you've heard me say, give God the finger and say, no thanks, I'll do it my way. That's, a, that's lawlessness. That's a transgression. That's when God says this, do this or don't do that. And sinful man says, I'll do it my way, thank you very much. 
But then he says here, what? But not just that. Now he says it is ever-increasing wickedness or lawlessness. In other words, it's lawlessness that leads to lawlessness that leads to lawlessness. Right? It's like a cancer. It just continues to grow. The sinfulness inside of man, to me, is like a gateway drug. Any guys remember that term, gateway drug? Probably a few of us. It's like, it's like a gateway drug. It just progresses to other sins, to other sins, and then to more of those sins. That's what sinfulness does. Mankind has enslaved themselves to sin, to degradation, to wickedness. And as I said earlier, they think about it. They focus on it. They enjoy it. And I remember those days, folks. I remember enjoying sin. That's why people do that. They don't sin because, ooh, it's terrible. They sin because they want to. They enjoy it. They stay with it. And sin becomes their master. Hence the term, they are a slave to sin. Paul, though, was not necessarily trying to focus on their past, except for one thing. Paul does want their zeal. He does want their dedication. He does want their devotion that was once used for sin to now be used for the good, right? For righteousness' sake. Look at the second half of verse 19 one more time. Just as you used to offer the parts of your body to slavery and impurity and to ever-increasing wickedness, so now offer them in slavery to righteousness leading to holiness. Now that this transformation, folks, has taken place and they now have a new allegiance, Take the same drive you had for wickedness, he's saying. Take that same drive that you love to sin. And he says, now I want you to strive for righteousness. As much as you loved all the horrible, evil, bad things you did in life, that passion you had, have that now for righteousness. Be a slave. You are a slave, but be a slave to righteousness, he says, which leads to holiness. As I spoke of earlier, or a few weeks ago really, in verse 13, use the parts of your body to serve the Lord. As just as much as everyone in the past knew of your evil deeds, before Christ people knew of the things that you have done, let them now hear of your spiritual fruit. Let it now be so loud they couldn't stop but hearing of the great things that you are doing because you're not just driven to religion. You're not just driven to even know about God, but you're driven to live out that changed heart that God has given to you. Let people now hear of that because now that's your drive. That's your passion. That's your devotion. You are a slave to righteousness. Surely your new master is worthy of at least equal loyalty and devotion as your old one. You'll now notice there at the end of verse 19 
that he mentions righteousness that leads to holiness. Now, for the most part, most of us might think, aren't those really the same thing? <laughs> kind of when you read that. And generally speaking, generally speaking, yeah, I would say that's true. But what he's doing here is the same thing he just did when discussing their prior life, okay? Remember where he said impurity leads to ever-increasing wickedness, right? Your lawlessness leads to lawlessness, which leads to lawlessness, and so forth. Here, with your new life in Christ, which should be evident, it should be evident to the world because you are dedicated to righteousness, he's saying that should lead to more righteousness, right? It's the same thing which should lead to more righteousness, which ultimately, he says, is the pursuit of holiness. It's the same thing on the other side of the coin, but now you're doing it to honor God. You're not living in sin, which leads to sin, which leads to sin. Now you're a slave to righteousness, which should lead to more righteousness, which should ultimately be that pursuit of holiness. As I mentioned last week, when we looked at Revelation chapter 3, God is appalled at the lukewarm Christian. You remember how appalled he was, right? Do you remember what he said, Christ said? I will spit or spew you out of my mouth. That's, that can't be good. The Christian life is not to become stagnant. As if you've reached a certain point where, well, I'm good enough. I'm better than most Christians. The fact that we will never reach holiness on this earth does not mean that we don't continue the quest that he has called us to. Nowhere in Scripture, folks, nowhere in Scripture does God set a minimum level of righteousness. Nowhere. That's why the command is, he makes it as high as it can get, right? Be holy as I am holy. You have to continue that because you're never going to reach it. That's why the quest goes on. Always. Now, as Paul moves into verse 20, he makes a statement of fact. It's just a statement of fact. And he's going to use this in the following verses. Okay? In other words, verse 20 is really just setting us up for verses 21 and following. He says here in verse 20, when you were slaves to sin, you were free from the control of righteousness. Okay? When you were slaves to sin, back in the day, before Christ, you were free from control of righteousness. In other words, in your former state, before Christ, you were not at all under the influence of righteousness. I think back to my previous life. <laughs> I don't even think I knew what the word righteousness was. I was never under any influence of it whatsoever. Matter of fact, me, just like he says here, he says you were slaves to sin. They were entirely devoted to sin, which is really, to be honest with you, it's an expression of total depravity. You've heard that word before. If you are dedicated to sin, you are a slave in bondage to sin you are a totally depraved individual. They were dedicated to a life of sinfulness. And therefore, as Paul said, they were free from any control of righteousness. Okay? 
You might say they were free from the demands because not only did they have no desire to live righteously, let's be honest, they had no ability to live righteously. No non-believer has the ability to live a righteous life. Outside of Christ, you cannot live a righteous life. It is impossible. Sure, you can have people you might know, and we can use words like, well, they're good neighbors, they're nice people, or they're religious, and all that's fine. But Paul's words are harsh, folks. The words, slaves to sin. I think that kind of kicks it up a little bit because, once again, we try to downgrade sin. Even Christians downgrade sin sometimes because they don't want to admit their sinfulness, right? Even dumb little things like, well, it's just a little white lie. There's no such thing, folks. You learn that from the world. There's no such thing as a little or a white lie, okay? Well, it didn't really harm anybody, Oh, okay, so it's, it's, it's okay then. Sin is fine as long as it doesn't harm anybody. I mean, we could just make this stuff as we go along, but this is what people do, okay? <clears throat> so keep that in mind. So they were, he says, a slave to sin, and those are very harsh words. They were actually separated from God's standard of righteousness, and that's important. I put emphasis on the word God's, right? Because man has their own standard of what they call righteousness, which to you and me is worthless. It's man-made. It's, it's dumbed down to this. That's not righteous. It's God's standard of righteousness. That's the only standard that matters, right? Not the world's, right? The world might say, oh, this is great. Says who? God doesn't say that. See, they are separated from God's standard of righteousness. So now with all that being settled, Paul asks a question here at the very beginning of verse 21. He says, well, what benefit did you reap at the time from the things you're now ashamed of? I'll read it again. What benefit did you reap at that time? In other words, that time when you were slaves to sin, what benefit did you reap of the things that you're now ashamed of? Or the benefits of being a slave to sin. Maybe you want to put it that way, right? Now, this is obviously a rhetorical question, right? You lived your previous life in utter devotion to sin. He's saying here, explain to me all those great benefits that you received. I can kind of picture Paul going, go ahead, I'll wait. And there's dead air, right? Albert Barnes says, you've tried it, you know its effects, you've tasted its bitterness, you've now reaped of its fruits. Folks, the reason Paul asks this question and the reason why there is no good answer is because the things they did, what does Paul say? They're ashamed of. They're ashamed of them. That's all that we, we, we think about it. If I ask everybody here, hey, what were the benefits before you knew Christ? Tell me all the great benefits you had from sin. I don't see any hands going to go up if I ask that question, right? Because they're bad things. They're evil things. They're wicked things. They're depraved things. Now, as believers, like he says here, you're actually ashamed of those things that you did. 
This is Paul's way of saying, this is why we leave sin. This is why we strive for righteousness. In the eyes of God, there is no good answer, right? There are no benefits of a sinful lifestyle. The benefit of a life outside of Christ, a life that is opposed to righteousness, is nothing. There is no perk. There is no value. There is no profit. None. Matter of fact, the only effect that Paul can give is there at the very end of verse 21. What is that? What does he say? Death. Death. He asked a question about the great benefits you had from living your life in sin. It's so bad, there are no benefits. And he says, well, there's one, death. That's not really a benefit. That's what you reap is the word that he uses. You reap death. Whatever sin promised you, whatever pleasure it gave you was short-lived. We all know this, right? Every one of us knows this. Whatever sin promised you, it was short-lived. But the consequences are eternal. You see, the word death here is speaking of eternal death. A place the Bible calls hell. Pastors don't like to use that word today. I don't know why. But there is a place called hell. Okay? The Bible says there is weeping and gnashing of teeth. It says it is eternal torment. Matter of fact, it says eventually we'll be tossed into the eternal lake of fire. If for some reason you think this is simply physical death, you are kidding yourself because that's already a reality for everybody. Physical death is going to happen for the believer and the unbeliever, right? That's already a reality. Adam took care of that for us. Thank you, Adam. We're going to die. We already know that. Okay. We also know it's spiritual death because the contrast to spiritual death is what? Eternal life. And he's going to mention that in verse 22. Matter of fact, let's go ahead and read that as Paul is going to show the contrast to those who came to faith in Christ. Verse 22, first words, but now, right? So here's the flip side. But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves to God, the benefit you reap leads to holiness and the result is eternal life. Wow, talk about a difference. Hmm? For those who have come to place their faith in Christ, not only are they no longer in bondage to sin, enslaved to sin, where they know nothing else, just sin, Now he says, obviously because we are a new creation in Christ, what does he say? We are a slave to God. And as you know, it's through his Holy Spirit that we can live that righteous life that he's talked about. Which verse 19 says leads to holiness, which goes even further, which says what? It leads to eternal life. And there's the contrast from death from the previous verse. Outside of temporary satisfaction, there is no benefit to a life of sin. And yet there are endless blessings to a life that is surrendered to Christ. And the biggest contrast of all, 
is one leads to eternal death while the other is to eternal life. And with this, all he simply does is he uses the final verse, a verse we probably all know. He uses it just as a, as a summarization. Okay? Verse 23, he just summarizes what he just said. He said, the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. So he's saying here, what you have earned, okay, what you have coming to you, notice he uses the word wages. Remember, wages are something you're supposed to receive, right? You work for your wages, right? Through your life of sin, what you receive for that in payment is death. That's what he says, is eternal judgment. The wages of sin is death. What you receive, here's your paycheck for what you've done, is death. Eternal judgment. But notice on the flip side, what you cannot earn, it's not a wage, is it? What does he say? It's a gift. And that is eternal life. Everlasting paradise in the glory of heaven. And this, he says, is through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Folks, this passage really, I mean, it couldn't be any clearer. As I said, as I said earlier on, you are either for Christ or you are against him. There's no middle ground. There's no purgatory. There's no, uh, there's no in-between heaven and hell. You are for Christ or you are against him. Those are the only two choices there are. One amounts in a life of sin and shame and offers nothing, absolutely nothing, but eternal hell. When Paul said, what do you reap? The only answer was, what did he say? Death. The other offers the gift of forgiveness for all those sins, the gift of redemption which God will then give eternal joy with him in all eternity. Folks, so many people today, and maybe even Christians, so many people have this constant focus on uh, the, the 70 or 80 years that we're going to live on this earth. That's everything we think about. How much money can I make? How rich can I get? How big a land on the lake can I get? How much wealth? How many cars? How many, what can I have? That's what we pursue for 70 or 80 years. And we set aside eternity. Our entire pursuit is what is materialistic, what is worldly. That's what everybody thinks about. The next time you go to the beach, get one grain of sand. And, and believe me, that's actually hard to do. <laughs> It's tiny. Get one little grain of sand. That little one grain of sand is like the 70, 80 years of this life. And the rest of that entire seashore is like eternity. That's the difference. I, I, I mean, life on this earth is nothing but a speck of eternity. And from what he's telling us here, there's two choices, eternal death or eternal life. And yet, for some reason, we tend to focus on the material things of this world 
while we're here on this earth. What should be our focus? What should we be thinking about? I, you know, I thought of earlier Colossians 3. Set your hearts, set your minds on the things that are above. Philippians 4.8, I can't quote it. Whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever, you know, think of these things. This, this life is one grain of sand. It's, it's just preparation for eternity, what we call the eternal state. It's, it's, it's eternity in hell. That is real. Or it's eternity in the joy of the Lord. As believers in Christ, we can look forward to that. Well, also on this earth, we have the ability through God's Holy Spirit to live what he has called a righteous life. doesn't mean we'll fail. But we can live righteously and honor God until we get to that time. When, praise God, we won't have a choice anymore. We'll have a glorified body and we'll be perfect. And then uh, we're not going to want to sin, which is great. I look forward to a place where there is no sin, especially mine. There's no struggle, especially mine. Right? There's no worries. There's no tears. It's the joy of the Lord. Make the right choices. Let's pray. Father, thank you, Lord, um, for our time in your word today. And, and thank you, Lord, just you know, as you've used these Romans, the Roman church to give us an example of their past life, which is really no different than ours. It applies to all believers. A life of sin, a life of degradation, a life of slavery to that which is depraved. But Lord, you, by your grace, you've called us over to be still a slave, but a slave to righteousness, which leads to holiness. We thank you, Lord, that you give us that desire. We thank you that we are a new creation in Christ. We thank you that you've given us a changed heart. And Lord, I know we battle sometimes with what's going on around us, the world, society, culture, but Lord, help us to do as he said, to, to live righteously, righteously, which brings about more righteousness and then more righteousness, which ultimately leads to holiness or sanctification. Give us that drive, Lord, knowing what is ahead. Lord, if anything, help us to be faithful and loyal to you just as much as we were to our sinful life. Lord, we love you and sometimes we, we struggle with proving that. And so, Lord, help us to strive for what is righteous. And it is in the name of Jesus we pray.